0: Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week we got new music from A Day to Remember, Every Time I Die, a radio rundown, and a deep dive on the tragic story of scary kids scaring kids. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out, you're not in the area, you can download the Stations app. Just search 94.3 The X in the app store and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at scene at gmail.com. All right, so let's get started. A Day to Remember released a new song called Everything We Need. It's the fifth single from their upcoming album, You're Welcome. To be completely honest, this track is half a step from being a country song. I listen to country music fairly often, and you could literally put a different vocalist on this thing and it'd 100% be a country song. It's obvious what they were trying to do here. They were trying to make another If It Means A Lot To You, but it turned out sounding like a twangy This Wildlife song. There isn't a single thing about this album rollout that has been a promising footnote. Resentment had mild success at rock radio, but couldn't even break the top 10 and now we get an acoustic song that has been written probably thousands of times before across multiple different genres. Almost half of the entire album is already out, too. I mean, y'all can keep that shit at this point. They've been stuck around 4 million monthly listeners on Spotify for more than a year while they've been dropping all of these songs, and Bring Me The Horizon and All Time Low are both having huge moments thanks to their new music and nostalgia virality. ADTR is falling behind and faster with every move they make. Their new album, You're Welcome, drops on March 5th, so we'll see what all of this is leading up to, but right now, it doesn't look like much of anything. But in other new music news, Every Time I Die released a new song called AWOL. It's presumably the third single from their yet-to-be-announced next album. If you're a fan of the band, you might have already heard this track. They sent it out as a free download to people who bought tickets to their Tid the Season live stream. But I wanted to talk about it because this band just flat out deserves to be celebrated. I mean, they've been pumping out pure fire for nearly two decades now, and this one is just another notch in their bangers belt. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the band will release their new album until they can tour again, so I'm not sure if we'll get the album this year. But when we do, Rabob is going to take over the show and do that episode. She's been a Keith Buckley stand for years and is an unabashed eat idiot for life. So I am so stoked for that one. All right, on to this week's radio rundown Uh, our all time low tracker update. We have monsters jumping from 27 to 23 on top 40. It's number 6 on Alternative Radio and a new peak of number 69 on the Hot 100, jumping 8 spots from last week. This is huge and a testament to what I explained last week about how even if the song streams are falling a bit and we have some fluctuation overall on the Hot 100, as long as they keep pushing the ceiling on top 40 and increasing in spins week after week, they're gonna eventually keep climbing on the Hot 100. This is so, so freaking exciting to see. Uh, them inside the top 25, on top 40. Next stop, I mean, is the top 20, and honestly, all signs point to full steam ahead. I mean, we're watching the first true scene breakout song unfold right in front of our eyes since 21 Pilots went on their run six years ago. It's so cool, and I can't wait to see what the next few months hold for this song. MGK and Black Bear continue their climb up top 40 and alternative radio as well, jumping to 14 on top 40 and four on alternative radio. It's currently in the 30s on the Hot 100 right now, but if this pace at radio keeps up, he's definitely going to break into the top 20. Nothing Nowhere jumps to 28 on alternative radio. That's the biggest he's ever been. A little over two weeks until his new album drops, so this is a great look for him going into it. It'll be a few months before we see if it can break into the top 10, though. Also, Mod Sun and Avril Lavigne's new single has officially been submitted to Alternative Radio, so that's really exciting, and fingers crossed we get some momentum behind that one too. Ask Alexandria is at number 8 on rock radio right now. It's actually down 3% in plays, but I don't think this is a sign of things to come for the song, so my recommendation is a strong hold on this one. Do not sell. Things are getting exciting in the teens on Rock Radio as well. Bring Me the Horizon, who are currently having the biggest streaming moment of their career, thanks to both Can You Feel My Heart Going Viral on TikTok, and the success of their new EP, are at 14 with teardrops. I'm starting to really get excited about them knocking on the door of the top 10 here. And then finally, Architects with another jump from 19 to 16. Now there is a lot of chart fluctuation going on around those three, But there is a chance we could have Ask Alexandria, Bring Me the Horizon, and Architects all inside the top 10 on Rock Radio at the same time here in a handful of weeks. I've been doing this radio segment on the show for around 8 months now, and I love how it's only gotten bigger. I literally started doing it only talking about rock radio because the scene was nowhere to be found elsewhere. And now we get to talk about all three major platforms outside of hip hop and country. And it all happened during a global pandemic. I'm so excited to see what 2021 holds for the songs that are charting right now and then all of the ones that are coming in the future. But all right, on to this week's deep dive. So, this is the last week we're gonna do a freebie dive for about the next month, because next week we have Mod Sun for his new album, Nothing Nowhere for his new album, and then a two-parter for Architect's new album. But I did another Twitter poll, and because I've gotten a ton of late 2000s post-hardcore requests, I did it between Scary Kids Scaring Kids, Drop Dead Gorgeous, A Skylit Drive, and Amorosa. The results were surprisingly pretty close. Based on how many Amorosa and Skylet Drive requests I've gotten, I thought they'd be the runaways with Amorosa taking the win, but surprisingly, Scary Kids took an early lead and never gave it up out of 460 total votes. So, here we go, the unfortunate and tragic story of Scary Kids scaring kids. So, I've honestly had a bit of a tough time with this one, more so on... A moral level, as we'll talk about, scary kids released a cover of biggie's notorious thugs, and from what i've been able to uncover, members of the band say the n word multiple times in it. After what happened in country music this week with Morgan Wallen, he's a superstar country singer breaking records left and right, and he was caught on camera saying the N word over the weekend, it just feels tone deaf of me not to bring it up when literally what I do on this podcast is uncover every stone of a band's history. And then on top of that, we're dealing with Tyson's death. So let's just start at the beginning and we'll work our way through that. So the band officially formed sometime in 2002 while all the members were still in high school. They took their name from a Cap'n Jazz song, which was a bit of a forefather emo band in the 90s. The original lineup was Tyson Stevens on vocals and bass, DJ Wilson on guitar, Peter Costa on drums, and Chad Crawford on guitar. Wilson later moved to bass following the addition of guitarist Steve Kirby and then keyboardist poo Afkary. They recorded and self-released their debut EP After Dark in 2003. It was six songs and actually produced by Bob Hogue, who is the former keyboardist for the Ataris. He's actually got a pretty random production resume, including everyone from Deer in the Headlights to Versus the Mirror, but the EP was honestly really impressive for its time, considering the band was still in high school, and post-hardcore hadn't yet reached its mall screamo era. Every song is very coherent, highly melodic post-hardcore takes, and they were even incorporating electronics on top of it in 2003, which not a lot of bands were doing at that point. Check out the intro track, What's Up Now. this, they graduated from high school and nearly disbanded. There's not a lot of documentation online of what happened throughout the rest of 2003 and 2004 for the band, but apparently they spent some of that time deciding whether or not to try pursuing the band full-time at all. As we know now, they did, and they signed to Immortal Records in 2005. Immortal has always been a bit of a mess, but they basically launched Incubus and Korn in the 90s. It's a little unclear whether or not they started as an independent label and crossed over to being an imprint or what their exact timeline of events are but they're an imprint now and distributed by virgin and epic they've released scene albums from everyone from 30 seconds to mars to a change of pace but so scary kids signed to them in 2005 they re-released their ep in february of that year and then instantly began recording their debut full length from february into that march Brian McTernan produced that album. Brian is a straight-up legend in the scene who goes all the way back to the mid-90s. He was in a couple of small hardcore punk bands, but began producing in 94, and the rest is really history. In the 90s, he did records for Texas is the Reason, Converge, Bane, cave in, Drowning Man, and tons others. And then in, 2000, in the 2000s, he did Hot Water Music, Thrice, Senses Fail, Circus Survive, From Autumn to Ashes, and so, so many more. He was actually Matt Squire's mentor in the studio. Squire has gone on to produce everyone from Panic at the Disco to Demi Lovato and is a multi-platinum producer now, but McTernan is a true forefather in our world and his work speaks for itself. Although a lot of our world is rooted in melody, there are typically so many layers to every moment, and he has just a knack for trimming the fat in a mix and making everything sound lean and essential. The Scary Kids mix on City Sleeps is a perfect example of his craft. City, which I found out was actually supposed to be self-titled, was far from a big album. It didn't even chart anywhere, and sales info doesn't exist anywhere in a public capacity, but it was absolutely a MySpace classic. From the cover art to the electronic programming, it offered a new niche sound in the scene that was exploding in popularity. It took the concepts from the After Dark EP and executed them at an even higher caliber. So their debut album came out on June 28, 2005, and again, their activity after this was incredibly poorly preserved on online, but thanks to Punk News and Lambgoats archives, I can confirm in July of 2005 that they went on a two-week tour with The Sleeping and the Receiving End of Sirens. Then, from the end of September and into October, they went out on a run with Across Five Aprils and Secret Lives of the Freemasons. Quick sidebar, if you've never listened to Secret Lives, go spend their album Weekend Warriors on Spotify right now. You can thank me later. Then, they hopped on a run in December with Just Surrender. After this, there's a lot of blank space on the Scary Kids timeline, and these splotches of blank space pop up throughout their career, unfortunately. Between Myspace and the original Absolute Punk archives being erased, there's just no simple way to tie all of this time together. So we're gonna fast forward to February of 2006, where Scary Kids landed a random slot alongside Alistair as support for Mess' initial farewell tour. Then in March, they did a super short run supporting Funeral for a Friend alongside, and this is a wild one, Bleed the Dream and Paramore. And they were playing under a thousand caps. 2006 was a different world. If you got to see Paramore on that first album cycle, just know you saw something truly special. But jumping to the summer of 2006, when It Dies Today were forced to drop off of Warp Tour that summer due to their frontman sustaining an injury to his vocal cords, Scary Kids were announced as their replacement for the dates they were scheduled for. After that, they were support for Haste the Day alongside August Burns Red and Inhale Exhale, which was basically the youth group Metalcore Tour plus Scary Kids. Then, jumping to February of 2007, they were on that year's Take Action tour alongside the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, Emery, A Static Lullaby, and Caddisfly. Then we jump to the 4th of July in 2007 when they officially announced their self-titled album and dropped the lead single, Faces. This was a huge anthem for the band with a hook that was meant to be chanted by the masses. The riffs in the verse felt very rock radio ready and that would be even more evident in a future single leading up to the album. But this was a perfect lead single for this record, showing the band in a more refined space than they had ever been before. Almost two months later, they dropped the second single, The Deep End, on August 26th, and about two months after this, they dropped the third single, Snake Devil, two days before the album dropped. To me, Snake Devil is the most interesting song Scary Kids ever released. It was a proposition for them to cater to rock radio. The song kicks off with a borderline motorhead riff and leans heavily into the rock radio realm from start to finish, while also tossing in a little bit of their signature post-hardcore sound. Their self-titled album has bangers front to back, but this is definitely a standout. But on August 28, Scary Kids released their second full-length album through Immortal Records. It became their first and ended up being their only release that charted on the top 200, debuting at number 80 wasn't a huge success out of the gates, but was certainly not a sophomore slump. It put a lot of new eyes on the band, and was the perfect niche sound for the Myspace era of post-hardcore. I've always kind of seen Sky Eats Airplane and Scary Kids in the same lane, but Sky being the experimental electronic core band, and Scary Kids being the rock radio electronic core band. Scary Kids were making dynamic songs, but they got better and better at making them more accessible with every release they had. Alright, so self-titled is out, and the timeline gets a little sporadic here too, but I didn't come across any confirmation that they actually went out on a headliner for the album that fall. I'm assuming they did, but I couldn't actually find any evidence of it. The next run I was able to find was at the beginning of January 2008 when they went out in support of Haste the Day Again alongside Gwen Stacy and Drop Dead Gorgeous, and to be honest, on all of these runs I've talked about, the venues never really broke a thousand caps. There were just so many bands around this level in the scene back then that they could just fill up most of their years with these kinds of runs and survive off them. In April, Scary Kids and Drop Dead supported Every Time I Die on a UK and European run. Now, near the end of April, Fearless Records released Punk Goes Crunk. I've talked about this thing on the show before, and just to start off, I don't understand how most of this album got the green light from Fearless. And then, they re-uploaded the entire thing unedited to their YouTube in 2017. So, for Scary Kids, in particular, they covered Biggie and Bone Thugs and Harmony's Notorious Thugs and didn't omit a single n-word. Now, I have not been able to find official credits for this song anywhere online, and I don't have a physical copy of the album, so I could read the liner notes, so I can't confirm exactly who does vocals on which part of the song. Some people say the first verse is actually a guest rapper that they had on it. Others say it was Scary Kid's drummer. Again, I don't know who all sings on this and where, and I also don't know the ethnic background of the members of Scary Kids, like if they're biracial or anything like that. But if the ones saying the N-word are white, obviously, fuck this. I listen to this track and get the same awful taste in my mouth I did when I found out Bo and Chris from Saosin made that incredibly racist rap parody song a few episodes back. And like I said before, I did all of this research on the heels of Morgan Wallen getting exposed for saying, the n-word, and rightfully being blacklisted from the industry, all during Black History Month. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why do some artists get a pass? I really have no idea. Post Malone and Justin Bieber have both been caught saying it, It's just so difficult for me to uh, find these skeletons as unfortunately the scene has a seemingly endless amount of and then talk about how big whatever band's influence was. Bottom line, if there are white dudes saying the n-word and not a single soul saw anything wrong with it before it came out, that tells you a whole hell of a lot about our world. For as often as this release gets backlash on scene Twitter nowadays, I'm surprised Fearless hasn't come out and denounced it in any way. The only thing they've done is put it up on their channel again to try and make some more money from it. But that's what I have to say about all that. Do with the info what you will. So after that embarrassing moment, It was also in 2008 that the band made a move, not many people remember. They actually left Immortal Records and were updrafted to RCA. So RCA is a major label owned by Sony and is one of their four flagship labels. So for a brief moment, right after they put that fucking song out, you know, now that I tie the timelines together, it's like, what the hell was going on in the scene back then? But Scary Kids was a major label band but that didn't last for long. They spent the first half of that summer touring with Alkaline Trio and Bayside, another super random lineup for them, and then the second half was on a run with Finch, Foxy Shazam, and Tickle Me Pink. For the fall, they went on a tour with Anne Berlin, Stray Light Run, and There for Tomorrow, and it was during that they announced that they had actually begun working on their third full-length album, but after that tour, from what I can find, it looks like they took a lot of time off between the winter of 2008 and the summer of 2009. The only thing they did during that time that I can find was play bamboozle, but afterwards they spent the summer of 09 on Warp Tour, and it was on that run that their vocalist Tyson suddenly left the tour. But instead of dropping off the remaining dates, the band recruited Craig from Escape the Fate, Vic from Pierce the Veil, Brandon from Chiodos, and Cove from Saosin to do sections of their set on vocals each day. Then, although the following moments were also very poorly documented, I mean, not even Lambgoat or Punk News posted about it. Apparently, at the end of November, the band's keyboardist announced that they had broken up, but in January of 2010, they actually did do some sort of a farewell tour with Dance Gavin Dance and The Sleeping. Their drummer for that run was actually Derek Smith, who we now know as Mod Sun. Before that, he drummed in Four Letter Lie, but on each date of that tour, he opened the shows as Mod Sun and then drummed for Scary Kids. This is a great tie-in for next week because we're doing the full Mod Sun deep dive in anticipation of his pop punk album. But after that, Scary Kids went completely silent. The rumor is that there is a third album recorded just without vocals from Tyson, but nothing ever came of that publicly, and Scary Kids went completely silent. Tyson had formed a new band called Coma Prevail with a former guitarist from The Bled, Jeremy Talley. They added three other members and recorded a three-song demo that, in my opinion, had Tyson's best song he ever sang on called Separation Anxiety. These tracks literally completely felt like Scary Kids and The Bled were making them together. Separation is this melodic screamo monster that, even in 2013 and in demo form, sounded better than 90% of the post-hardcore in the scene at that time. Here's a snippet of the track. the band to be a full-time thing and actually make a splash in the industry. Later on, the band changed its name to Cons and released an EP called Slow Healer that was produced by Salison's Bo Burchell through Revival Recordings in 2017. But before that, in 2014, tragedy struck on October 20th when Tyson died of a suspected heroin overdose. I was still at Alt Press at the time, and we broke the news. Matt was the one who put the story together. At the time, we didn't know the cause of death, and fucking TMZ ran it based on their sources. I've been involved with the music news cycle in one way or another since around 2012, and it doesn't matter what the story is, if it's a big story for someone, no matter how niche... TMZ will find a way to have an exclusive angle on it. They did the same thing with Kyle Pavone from We Came As Romans and his cause of death when he died. They literally leaked the 911 call. They will leech off anything and everything. It was just such a sad few days in the scene. Obviously, obit posts came pouring out from many members of our world. Vic from Pierce said, R.I.P. Tyson Stevens, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids was the first big band to take us out on tour. So sad to see you go, man. Kevin from A Day to Remember, who also used to play in Four Letter Lie, echoed what Vic said. R.I.P. Tyson Stevens, Scary Kids was the first big band to take a chance and bring out my old band, and I'm forever grateful. Sad to see you go. Pierce the Veil actually paid homage to Tyson in the artwork for their last full-length Misadventures. Vic said the syringe on the cover was for him, which definitely felt a little weird to me. I think there was definitely a better way they could have gone about doing that. But later on, there was actually a rumor around 2016 after a Scary Kid's Twitter account was launched that they were coming back with Craig Owens as the vocalist. Somehow, Craig just manages to weave his way into every conversation, even when he doesn't even do anything but nothing ever came of the Scary Kids reunion talks until 2019 when a new song was released under the band's name called Love Forever. It came out on the 5th anniversary of Tyson's death and what would have been his 24th birthday. The track was made by the band's guitarist Chad Crawford and produced by Hiram Hernandez, who actually also produced Craig Owen's Drugs Comeback single last year, King I Am. The song was a ballad of sorts, taking multiple lyrical references from Tyson's time in the band. Then, two months later, Crawford, Afkari, and Costa announced that they would be reuniting Scary Kids for 15-year anniversary shows for The City Sleeps in Flames, and that Kovareber would be their vocalist for the shows. They did an initial run on the West Coast, and then announced an East Coast run with direct support from the classic crime but obviously it was canceled. It was supposed to take place last summer. I'm assuming if they can, get it rescheduled. It will be at some point in 2022, but we'll see. It's actually a good thing I delayed this episode a day because it was just announced today that Velocity Records, which used to be an imprint on Rise, will be returning under Equal Vision Records, and the roster caught a lot of people's attention. First off, they signed Thursday, so now everyone is going to be speculating about new, th- new music from them. And second, they signed Scary Kids, so the band confirmed that new music is coming, and it looks like Cove is gonna be the vocalist, which makes even more sense because Cove's other band, Dead American, was also announced on this new Velocity roster today. Other names include Drugs, which is funny, coming off the heels of the Drugs dive a few weeks back. They also signed No Devotion, which was the band Jeff Rickley from Thursday formed with the remaining members of Lost Prophets after that scumbag Ian Watkins went to prison. And they also signed Secrets, as well as The Villa, which is that new metalcore band featuring former members of Issues, Woe Is Me, Secrets, and Nightmares. So quite a few interesting intersecting moments here. Velocity, like I said, used to be an imprint through Rise Records and had bands like Issues, Woe Is Me, Paris, A Loss for Words, Abandon All Ships, and a few others so we'll see what new Scary Kids music sounds like. It looks like it's coming this year along with all those other bands. I mean, I've been burned by the scene so many times that it's hard to get excited about something new, but damn, imagine if Thursday releases new music in 2021. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Notetoseen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.